Good evening, brethren, friends of the truth and young people. We welcome you to our fall gathering this year. We've got a pretty um, good schedule planned for everybody, so we hope everybody enjoys it, both the spiritual aspects and the fraternal aspects. Well, let's um, begin our gathering and our exhortation tonight. Brother Pat Hamilton is our speaker. The topic that he's going to speak about today, tonight is separate from the world. His opening reading is from Genesis chapter 13. So let's all open our, the Word of God and, and read along with us. Genesis 13. Beginning at verse 7. Genesis 13, verse 7. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdsmen and thy herdsmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest into Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. Let us now give our attention to Brother Pat. Good evening, brothers, sisters, young people, and friends of God's Word. It's good to be with you this weekend, and we bring the fraternal greetings from the Dallas Ecclesia. Well, the theme of this weekend's gathering is why we are a separate people. Tonight, I would like to address that subject and clarify why Christadelphians should be separate from the world. We live in a dangerous age of subtle attractions. In a world that offers no real persecution, such as the early ecclesias had to face, but every form of pleasure that satisfies the natural instincts and desires, the lusts of fleshly thinking men. Christadelphians must keep away from this, for they have a call to separation. To keep themselves unspotted from the world. Let us read from James chapter 1, verse 27. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. And then turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. 
This is where we read, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. Well, we, brethren, have been called to a high and holy calling, and we have chosen to accept the way of life that this calling demands. Our first aim in life should be to make our calling and election sure, to prepare ourselves for our Master's return, and to reproduce in our lives a reflection of his character, that on his return he might take us for himself. Remember this quote from a previous exhortation that I gave at the 2009 Arkansas Bible School. Actually, it's a 2010 Bible School. There's two ways of spreading light, to be the candle or the lamp or the mirror that reflects it. Well, are we acting as the mirror and reflecting our master's character? And then I gave at the Bible school a homework assignment, a reading from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 to 17. And I probably, uh, you might have forgot to do that when you got home. So let's just look at that right now. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 to 17. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has, hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know that no whoremonger nor unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these, thi- these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedient. Be not ye therefore partakers with them, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is, of, is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectively. Not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Well, there is no assistance forthcoming from the world to help us to that end. Rather, John exhorts that we should avoid the world. And we read in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 16, which are familiar verses, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. 
Well, this is sound advice and an exhortation in itself. Unfortunately, we take such words for granted. Mere repetition seems to blunt the edge of the exhortation. Therefore, we want to apply two scriptural principles or examples to illustrate the fatal danger of friendship with the world. Now, first, we want to consider Lot, the righteous. Let our minds go back to a time when the little world of Sodom was destroyed. Often, Lot is used as a type of the saints being called out of the world before the judgments are poured thereon. And we read in Genesis chapter 19, verse 29, And it came to pass, when God destroyed the cities of the plain, that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot dwelt. But let us look a little closer and see the type more fully. Remember, we are like he was, a believer living amongst worldly people. As an example to the ungodly of the succeeding ages, Sodom was condemned and overthrown by God. In contrast, he delivered just or righteous Lot, who was, as we read in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 7 to 8, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteousness vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Now, no man is righteous unless his sins are forgiven him. Lot, therefore, was not righteous of his own accord. Was he righteous because he was so vexed with what went on around him? Well, not necessarily, for he had brought it upon himself, as we shall see. Now, the call to Abram, to come out and be separate is the first principle of faith. We read in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 4. Let's turn to that. Genesis chapter 12, 1 to 4. Now the Lord has said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. Lot also, as we read in Genesis chapter 12, verses 4 to 5, traveled with Abram from Haran to the land of promise, close to 1,000 miles. There the Lord promised Abraham, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 7, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And altars were built in Morah and Bethel, and a form of worship was instituted. During this time, Lot received good instruction and example in Abram's company. My mother used to say, and I think Judy's mother used to say the same thing to her, you are the company you keep. And maybe some of the young people, your parents have told you that. Lot saw the faithful walk of a man pleasing to God. He heard of the promises from the lips of one who communed with God. We read of Abraham in James chapter 2, verse 23, and the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, 
and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Wouldn't that be something to be called the friend of God? Well, nowhere in Scripture could I find a place where anyone else was called the friend of God. Lot thus enjoyed the company of the friend of God and of those of like precious faith as he journeyed with Abram into Egypt and back again to Bethel. But now strife disturbed those peaceful days as we heard in our reading this evening from Genesis chapter 13, verse 7. Abram gave Lot the choice of what should be done under the circumstances. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 13, verses 8 to 9. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyselves, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. So here in this, in these verses, if we look at verse 7, it says, And there was strife between the herdmen of Abraham's cattle and herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. So we see that Abraham said to Lot, he didn't want to have strife. And he told him, you go to the, to the left, I'll go to the right, or vice versa. Well, when Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the plain of Jordan, he saw with it the fertile soil and its abundance of water and its close proximity to the cities promised, and he saw that it promised the easier life of the two, and he chose all the plain of Jordan. So Lot departed from Abram, as we read in Genesis 13, verses 10 to 11, where it says, And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zor. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. Here then we have two men. Abram dwelling in Canaan as a family apart, separated from the world, living before the Lord, and Lot choosing the material benefits of the plain, pitching his tent toward Sodom. Then we read in Genesis chapter 13, verses 12 to 13, Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. While Lot, having made this choice, drifted still further. We next read of him that he dwelt in Sodom in Genesis chapter 14, verse 12. He had moved into the city itself, drawn maybe by personal invitation or by the attraction of city life. Finally, we read of him sitting in the gate in Genesis chapter 19, verse 1. The position assumed by prominent citizens, judges, and rulers. Well, it was while he was in the city that he was vexed by the filthy conversation and the unlawful deeds of the citizens. But it was a state he brought upon himself. He had left Abram, with whom he had lived in peace of mind, and by stages had become involved in the life of Sodom that was vexing him. His grounding in the faith helped him withstand the temptations of the city that he fell not. Nevertheless, he was so involved in its worldly system 
that the angels had to lead him out when they came to destroy it. We read in Genesis chapter 19, verse 16, And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters, (coughs) the Lord being merciful unto him, and they brought him forth and set him without the city. So the only righteous was taken out and escaped the destruction that followed. Even his wife looked back at the position, the family, the wealth, the luxury she was leaving behind and lost her life in consequence. Well, the last we hear of Lot is contained in Genesis chapter 19, verse 30, where we read, And Lot went up out of Zor and dwelt in the mountain, and his two daughters with him, for he feared to dwell in Zor, and he dwelt in a cave, he and his two daughters. Well, had he had enough of the world? Did he realize that Abram's way of life, the life of separateness, was the only true and happy way? (coughs) Abram was happier in isolation. Lot could have maintained a separate existence away from the cities of the plain. Had he done so, he probably would not have had the trouble and sorrow he brought on himself. (coughs) Not only was he unhappy in himself, but he also lost his wife, his family, and all his possessions. Well, this is a lesson for us. We all have choices to make in this life. We need to make the wise choice or choices. Just Lot was forgiven and saved because of his faith towards God, but he lost much because of his folly in mixing with the ungodly. He should have been wise and kept separate. We must apply the lesson of Lot to ourselves. The Lord predicted that the last days would be characterized by a society which mirrored that of Sodom. Immorality, homosexuality, and violence would become the ruling passions of human civilization. And even ecclesial life would be a reflection of this evil. Are we involved in the system of life pertaining to modern Sodom? Sodom was a type of the world. Its people were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly, as we read in Genesis chapter 13, verse 13. Our world is in the same state, and we are wise to keep apart from it, unspotted as we previously read in James chapter 1, verse 27, and holy as we read in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 to 16. Reading from 1 Peter 1, 15 to 16, it says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. When the time comes for the angels to fetch us, we must not be involved with the world as to be forcibly let out as Lot was. Think about that. Furthermore, our faith may not be so strong as that of Lot. We might even have ceased to be vexed with the world. So John exhorts us in 1 John chapter 2, verse 17, And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, 
But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. We should never be ashamed of speaking or preaching the gospel of Christ. We read in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 to 17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, The just shall live by faith. Well, of course, we have to mix with the world to a certain extent. Our normal life requires that, and it can provide excellent opportunity to spread the gospel of Christ. But we mustn't associate with the world in its type of unlawful conversation or deeds. There is no need for us to be entangled in its organizations or to seek its friendship. We can have acquaintances in the world and perhaps turn them to ways of righteousness, But friendship, no. For by that means, many are turned from righteousness to become the enemies of God. We read the following warning in James chapter 4, verse 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. In many Bible versions for this verse, it says adulteresses, adulterers, unfaithful. And James, remember, is speaking to the ecclesia, those betrothed to Christ, the bride of Christ. We need to think about what James tells us. Well, Paul's exhortation on this is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 to 17. Let's turn to that. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Verses 14 to 17. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Well, that is his purpose in calling us that he may dwell in us and walk in us, that we should in the age to come manifest him, his power, his glory, his character. This is why Brother John Thomas could say, God manifestation, not human salvation, was the great purpose of the eternal spirit. We, as his name bearers to the ends of the earth, It will be our privilege to help reconcile the world unto the wisdom of the Lord. 
Therefore, we must now learn to repudiate that system of life that is antagonistic to him, as we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. He who calls us demands of us this thing, that we walk not in the ways of modern Sodom. Our calling in the truth is not assisted by associating with ungodly men, as our next example will show. We now want to consider Jehoshaphat and his unwise action as pointed out in 2 Chronicles chapter 18. We can turn to 2 Chronicles and just keep our finger there. 2 Chronicles chapter 18. We see that Jehoshaphat was a good king of Judah, doing that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, or in the eyes of Yahweh. We read in 2 Chronicles chapter 17, verses 3 to 6. Turn back to 17, 3 to 6, and we read, And the Lord was with Jehoshaphat, because he walked in the ways of his father David, and sought not unto Balaam, but sought to the Lord God, to the Lord God of his father, and walked in his commandments, and not after the doings of Israel. Therefore the Lord established the kingdom in his hand, and all Judah brought to Jehoshaphat presents, and he had riches and honor in abundance. And his heart was lifted up in the ways of the Lord. Moreover, he took away the high places and the groves out of Judah. Well, it was, it appears, obviously devoted to doing right. He removed the high places and the groves out of Judah and caused the priests to teach the people from the book of the law. Well, at this time, Ahab, the husband of Jezebel, the king of Israel, one of the worst of Israel's kings, reigned in the northern kingdom. We read in Second Chronicles chapter 18, verse 1, Jehoshaphat had riches and honor in abundance and joined affinity with Ahab. Joined in affinity with Ahab was unwise. And how did he do that? Well, this was by marriage. Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, walked in the ways of the king of Israel like the house of Ahab, for he had the daughter of Ahab to wife and wrought that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, as we read in Second Chronicles chapter 21, verse 6. Jehoshaphat allowed, he maybe even assisted his son to marry into a house that did evil in the sight of the Lord. It was compatible to marrying out of the truth in our day. Often today in Christadelphia, we see family placed ahead of truth, don't we? When Ahab asked Jehoshaphat to join with him in war against Ramoth Gilead, without first inquiring of the Lord, Jehoshaphat answered in 2 Chronicles chapter 18, verse 3, I am as thou art, my people as thy people. We will be with thee in the war. But although he so unwisely joined himself and his people to Ahab, he was wise enough to see through the false prophecy of Ahab's 400 prophets. For he inquired whether there was a prophet of Yahweh through whom they might inquire regarding the success of the venture. There is but one man, but I hate him, was the answer of Ahab. 
For he never prophesies good things, but always evil. So Micaiah was brought before the kings and prophesied as Yahweh commanded that the king of Israel would fall. Well, disregarding this warning, the kings went to battle, and the inevitable happened. Ahab was slain, and as for Jehoshaphat, he returned to Jerusalem to be met by Jehu, the son of Hananiah the seer, who declared, Shouldest thou help the ungodly and love them that hate the Lord? Therefore wrath is upon thee from before the Lord. And that's in Second Chronicles chapter 19, verse 2. So what had he done? What did Jehoshaphat, what did he do? Well, he had united himself, as we read in Chronicles 18, 1, Second Chronicles 18, 1, and had been at one, as we see in verse 2, with the ungodly, <coughs> with those that hate the Lord, whereas he whose heart was lifted up in the ways of Yahweh should have remained separate from those who did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Well, the point is, for this example, are we guilty are we guilty of the same sin? Do we help and love the world, joining affinity with the house of the ungodly? Jehoshaphat was unwise in his association with Ahab, and he was reproved by Yahweh. But good things were found in him, for he was told in Second Chronicles chapter 19, verse 3, Thou hast prepared thine heart to seek God. Well, here is the exhortation for us. Be wise in our contact with the world and prepare our heart to seek God. There is only one way that we can do this. One way, and that's through his word. If he is to dwell in us and walk in us, if we are to manifest him in the kingdom, we must prepare our heart to understand the wisdom of the divine mind right now. Now, the word will cause us to see the wickedness of the world through the eyes of Yahweh. It will induce in us a state of mind like that of the master who loved righteousness and hated iniquity, as we read, or as we read in Psalm 45, verse 7. It will develop in us a love for the father and for his son, a love for the word, and all those things we call simply the truth. And as this love grows in us, so there will also grow in us a hatred for all things associated with that system of things we call the world. Well, what is the world? It can be, it can be to many vague, meaning, a meaningless expression. Well, an elder brother once said, the world is everything in which God is absent. In whatsoever Yahweh, the God of Israel, is not mentioned, acknowledged, or revered, that is the world. The world seeks to establish its own peace without acknowledging that the earth is Yahweh's and the fullness thereof. Political leaders put their confidence in their power and their armies and repeat the boast of Nebuchadnezzar. Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the honor of my name? Very few, if any, acknowledge that God rules in the kingdom of men or recognize the madness of their policies due to the ignorance of the word. 
Well, other dangers to us as Christadelphians, other than politics, are worldly pleasures. These are designed to stimulate the fleshly appetites of man. The world bows down to the goddess of pleasure in temples, such as movie theaters and sports stadiums, built for her worship. And there the way of life condemned by God is glamorized and set before men as most desirable. Just look at who our children, children of the world, try to emulate. Violence, vice, divorce, immorality is shorn of its evil and set before the world as the normal way of life. And the people who act and play these parts are worshipped by the thoughtless crowd that crowd these places. What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? Remember Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 to 6, where it says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Well, similar language can be used of television and the Internet which so many of us find time to watch or participate in to the neglect of the word. This is not to say that such have no good uses because some might if used for the purpose of serving God. But we must make sure that it is our purpose. Let us remember we can easily become like the company we keep. So let's seek God's company. The world's literature, even the finest of our newspapers, cannot help us in the matter of our redemption in Christ Jesus. We are very unwise to to devote much time to reading newspapers and worldly magazines. Naturally, there is a use for these things, but we must take care how we handle them, lest what is lawful becomes not expedient. Our character will develop on what we permit our mind to dwell on. If it is filled with the latest film, the latest computer and phone applications, or dominated by sports, our character will reflect the result. We will become worldly. Paul warned us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. And Christ exhorted in Mark chapter 4, verse 24, Take heed what ye hear. With what measure ye met, it shall be measured to you. And unto you that hear shall more be given. If we keep away as much as possible from the world, the evil that is therein will not influence our lives. The wise man exhorts in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 7, Go from the presence of a foolish man, when thou perceivest not in him the lips of knowledge. Moreover, he writes in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20, He that walketh with the wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Let us therefore be wise with Paul and set our affections on on this, on the things above, as we read in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. If our mind dwells on the spiritual thoughts, repudiating the evil communications of this modern Sodom, the influence will be reflected in our way of life. He will dwell in us through his word, and we will reflect his ways. In conclusion, 
there should be a sense of urgency in preparing ourselves for the Master's return. As Sodom was destroyed suddenly and without warning, so will the present worldly system be overthrown that a way of life ordained of Yahweh may take its place. Abraham, that man of faith, was forewarned of the destruction of Sodom. And we have been warned of the destiny of the present way of life. The signs of the time, which we will talk about tomorrow, warn us of the impending destruction. We need to heed, therefore, lest the pleasant plains of materialism and pleasure draw us away from that isolation we have, we have with faithful Abraham. The record of the past shows that to allow ourselves to be thus drawn is to court disaster and death. Lot was taken out of Sodom before the destruction to be saved. We, those in covenant through baptism into Christ, shall be taken out of modern Sodom to the judgment seat, I believe will be at Mount Sinai, where we must all stand to receive every man according to his work, hath been, as we read in Revelation chapter 22, verses 12 to 14. There we shall see Abraham, Moses, David, the worthies of every age, the apostles of the Lord, our own pioneer brethren, whom we have never seen but we know so much about, brothers and sisters with whom we have had true fellowship, all of them gathered before the righteous judge who shall judge rightly. The verdict on our life will be given. As we stand before him for that purpose, our lives will be laid open, a truly humbling experience that will be, and we will realize his greatness compared to our insignificance. <coughs> will we then think of the enjoyment we had in our worldly pleasures in viewing films, sports, or music? I don't think so, except maybe to make us ashamed Will we be ashamed before him at his coming? One thing, though, will dominate our mind if we have overindulged in these things, the knowledge of lost opportunities to make our calling and election sure. Let us bear, let us bear in mind this fact and prepare now that we may receive him with joy and not with fear. I would like to close this exhortation with the reading from 1 Peter chapter 2, Verses 9 to 12, so let's turn to that. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, 
which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. Thank you very much, Brother Pat.